Welcome to the Physician Associate Podcast. Hello, welcome to this episode of the Physician Associate Podcast. My name is James. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Virginia Valentine. Virginia is an Associate Professor and Chief of the Division of Physician Assistant Studies in the University of Utah. Welcome to the show, Virginia. Thank you. I'm so happy to be contacted and talking with you today. Thanks for giving up your time. The reason I got in touch with you was I read a paper that you've recently authored on the impact of the pandemic, COVID-19, um, and how that's impacted physician assistant education sort of around the world, I guess, the knock-on effects that the pandemic's had on teaching students. And I just thought it'd be really interesting to get you on the show to talk about your research. Do you want to set the scene for us about why you chose this area of to research? Yeah, so... Um, I am, I serve on the Physician Assistant Education Association, known as PAEA's research group. Um, so that research, they call it an RMAC, the research MAC, was actually charged or we were asked if we would help design a COVID impact survey. So as soon as COVID happened, you know, we all remember March of 2020, um, the PAEA realized that rather than sending out their usual surveys that they send out to faculty and to students and to, to staff, they needed to send out something really addressing COVID specifically. So I was involved with that group where we uh, wrote uh, many of those questions and sent those out to all of the program directors in the United States. So 280 or so PA programs, we sent that survey out to them and, and got a good response. Kind of approval from PAEA, I asked if we could take those questions and do an international survey. Um, and so I want to give a shout out to my um, co-authors on this paper, um, including Ian Jones, Mary Warner, Gert Van Brink, Richard, Rick Dean, and Shapar Najababi. And so when we work together, specifically um, with uh, my international colleagues, I contacted them and said, hey, I've got this survey. Can we send it out to all of the international PA program directors and find out what's going on? Um, one of the barriers that we found is that it's actually very hard to get the contact information for all the program directors of all the international programs. Which countries responded? Where, from where over the world did you get? Yeah, so we were able to in? get, yeah, we were able to get, um, we got, I'm going to look here at the paper just to be for sure. We got four PA programs in the Netherlands and Switzerland, two programs in the UK, four programs in Canada, and one in Ghana. And so um, we know that there's a lot of other programs out there, but those are the people that responded and probably due to living through a pandemic, um, people did not, uh, were not able to respond other than that. Yeah, of course, it was such a shock, wasn't it, to the educational infrastructure and the system when COVID yeah. came in? Yeah. What did that feel like on the ground as an educator yourself? Oh, gosh. So, you know, at the University of Utah, we have what's called a, a distant campus. So there's probably, I think, maybe almost 10 programs in the United States that have this where you have more than one campus location. So for us, uh, specifically here, I think that the uh, transition was a little more easy because we already had a system where we were streaming, essentially, uh, synchronously our educational model. So the lecturer would be lecturing and they'd be lecturing to a room of people and then it would be streaming to another room of people. Um, and so for us, we were able kind of overnight to switch that and the lecturer was lecturing from home and all the students were streaming from home. Um, but as you can imagine, it's so funny to think back to that now. 
because now it seems almost normal, right? Now it almost seems like not that big of a deal, but at the time it was, was really a big deal. Um, and also for us at least, um, and, and I know this was the experience for many uh, U.S. programs, our students were out of clinic for three months. So in that clinical training component, again, back to how fearful we were in March of 2020 and no one knew what was going to happen, our university essentially made the decision that we would no longer be in any clinical rotations. And that, of course, was very dramatic to the students who were in the midst of their training. And that rings true for my experience. The students I was working with in the UK, they had to disappear overnight and leave their clinical attachments and go back yeah. to classroom learning instead for that, for that yeah. time. Yeah. I guess that must have been true across the world for a lot of healthcare students. Um, what we found from these two different projects is that you're right, that both in the United States and in the rest of the world, clinical rotations were essentially put on hold for most places. But what I thought was interesting is what we, what we felt like we could um, elucidate from the survey was that um, in the United States, most of the time that decision was made by the clinics themselves or the hospital systems themselves, whereas it appeared in um, the, the groups that responded to this paper that you and I are discussing, that it was actually more decided on a kind of government or national level. And so for me, that just um, highlighted the fragment, the fragmented nature of the U.S. health system and our educational system that really are not interconnected and talking. That's interesting. I think it's fair to say, although it might not always feel like it in the UK, the universities and their hospitals do work quite well together in terms of arranging placements and looking after students. And they do talk to each other quite a lot to plan things. That might be more difficult, I suppose, in the US system for those things to integrate. Yeah, I think for most, um, so most universities in the United States, um, like for us, we have a large academic health center. So that large academic health center that's connected with our university, we kind of, you know, own, right? We have the ability to, to, to have those relationships and have students in there. But for us, at least 50% of our students do not train within that health system. So we have 68 students. We have, that's a lot. That's a lot of people that need to train. So only about 50% of our rotations are in that health system. The rest are out in the community particularly in rural areas. And, you know, the U.S. is known for these large, expansive rural areas where PAs are really um, well utilized. When you were writing the questions, sending them out to the course directors, what sort of things did you have in mind that you wanted to find out? What were the big questions that you were looking into? Yeah. So again, thinking back to about it now, it almost seems obvious, but we wanted to know what people were doing with literally their academic training, right? Uh, again, now today, it seems like, well, obviously we all went online and we continued forward, but we didn't know at that time. So we really wanted to look at, you know, were people treating training online? And we actually had a specific question about exams. So very interestingly, right? Almost all of us in all the countries do exams in person. And then what you found is this big switch to doing exams virtually, um, as well as, as the education. So most programs were not virtual and then most programs became virtual during the pandemic. Um, and then we had the question about the clinical rotations, which you and I just talked about. We were also really interested in the academic calendar. So at that moment, we didn't know, would students graduate? You know, what is going to happen to the health workforce 
if everything is put on pause. And at that time we had no long, no idea how long this pause might be. So trying to understand where students actually going to graduate on time, uh, were they actually going to graduate them early? So I don't know if that happened in England, but in the United States, there were some other educational programs where they started saying, we're going to just graduate students early. They're fine. They're, they're good enough. They're workforce ready. The other question that we were interested in is we want to understand the budget. There's very dramatic differences in budget models between the U.S. and um, some of our international colleagues. We were also interested in understanding um, the impact on the faculty and staff specifically. It's a little hard when you're asking program directors about the students. Um, So we can ask and we are interested in students, but we are really interested in understanding the impact on faculty and staff well-being. In this paper, um, looking at our um, international colleagues, is we found that the staff are reporting um, a greater impact than the faculty. A staff member is someone who does not teach. So it would be people who are, you know, running the program, administrators, doing that kind of things, not people with their PhDs, for example, not people that are PA educators. Whereas for us, having a faculty, being an assistant professor, an associate professor, a professor is a faculty member. I see. Okay. Perhaps so that's that is, kind of interesting. Yeah. Perhaps that is a distinction that's made. It's just not one I've ever delineated with the words and staff mm-hmm. and faculty. Mm-hmm. So it was actually the, the staff we're having a worse time of it than the this, teaching faculty. Reported in this survey. And I think um, what's interesting, at least what what I, I feel like I can say to this day, is now living through pandemic, I think that what we know is that people with more secure jobs and higher levels of education were able to, to go through the storm a little more easily than those people with less education and less secure jobs. What were the broad themes that you were finding in terms of how the courses responded? Were they able to adapt quite quickly? Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, I think the most amazing kind of takeaway from all of this is how we continued forward. (laughs) I mean, you know, it really, I think with all of what we've lived through with the pandemic, we almost should have more news reports where they give everybody a pat on the back for what we've managed to do. So, um, you know, if you think about trying to educate PA students, everyone you could tell was so invested in what they were doing. There was never this, well, I guess we're going to stop training people. It was more of, well, so how do we adapt? How are we going to continue to train people, both from the student side and then from the faculty and staff side? Everybody was invested in that to continue forward. And so what we found is that, you know, like I said, it looked like 11% or so of people had didactic curriculum taught remotely before the pandemic, and it jumped to 71% um, after the pandemic. So everybody switched to online. So such a dramatic um, impact on everything um, in regards to education at that time. Um, people having uh, postponed seeking promotions, um, hiring being suspended, some cuts in finances and budgets. I wonder if that's going to permeate throughout the next few years, the way universities are funded, obviously recruiting students, if that's lessened as a result of the pandemic, if there's less interest in going to PA school across the board of the university, if they're able to recruit less, have less capacity, fewer numbers Mm -hmm. of students that's going to feed into the number of staff and faculty that you can pay that's going to affect courses and the quality of teaching i would assume in in years and ways that we hadn't imagined right think back to when we first had the pandemic i remember thinking like what is going to happen i couldn't have dreamt that we would have this inability to buy regular things at the store right so in my mind 
things have impacted us in ways we could never have imagined. I, um, in the United States, at least, we do not have a decrease in people applying to PA school. There was this kind of question mark. And, we, and I, I'm with you. I think we need to see what the next few years continue to provide us. But at this moment, I think that people who are interested in being of service in the health world, um, I think the pandemic made probably many people even more interested. And that's what I've seen, at least in this last year. We just did interviews for admissions. Um, most of the students that I was interviewing where people who are really working on the front lines, you know, they're medical assistants, nursing assistants who were taking care of patients on the COVID wards over this last couple of years as they, at least in the United States, most students will get a bachelor's degree and then work for a little while in a, in a role within the health system and then apply to PA school. And so those people, at least that I had met, this is anecdotal, you know, they, they feel more, even more interested in being a part of this team because you see what a need that we have um, for patients to be taken care of. And I guess from a job security point of view, that also makes sense if people have seen that healthcare jobs are pretty secure to external pressures that other professions have obviously suffered from and businesses have gone through. It might be a bit of that driving right. into healthcare as well. Yeah. Those of us who are writing the survey were all American educators and researchers. And so one of the direct questions that we had is, well, what's going to happen to the budget? And I think that that's such an American point of view. I don't know if you agree, which is I don't think in Europe that they would spend much time uh, thinking about what's going to happen to the money. I, I think that's probably fair to say, yes. Maybe not. it wouldn't be immediate top of our list question. I think perhaps having to think of it now as universities are grappling with changing demand, changing the courses. But yeah, it certainly wouldn't have been a top priority. Yeah. So for us, you know, we wanted to know um, at that time. So March 2020, um, many uh, universities have a fiscal year, so they would plan for budgets in July. And so the question was, would we have a change? Would, would there be a change in the funding streams that are coming in? So most PA education programs are, are funded by tuition dollars, but also um, if you, I don't, I don't know if you all had any of this experience in the United States, we had a very, you mentioned that people's jobs were secure. So we actually had PAs and NPs lose their jobs very early in the pandemic. And the reason that is, is in the U.S. system, our, uh, most of the hospital is built upon um, money that comes in from medications, from pharmacy and from surgery. And so early on in the pandemic, all of the surgeries were put on hold. I mean, I, I, it's amazing to think about the world and how we just stopped doing surgeries because we didn't know what to do. And with that loss of funding, um, there were literally no work. Yeah. And also early in that time in the pandemic, the hospitals weren't full, right? Remember, we were literally all in lockdown. We were all in our homes. Of course, people were dying um, quite terribly, right, of the pandemic, but it wasn't the, the amount of workforce need that is needed, for example, today. So there were, I knew PAs and NPs that lost their jobs. Um, people were laid off essentially. And then this kind of comes back to our health systems. That's really interesting. I personally can't think of any colleague who was made redundant or laid off, lost their job when the pandemic struck. We were certainly all redeployed uh, from areas into perhaps ITU or high demand areas where we were seeing the patient demand coming in. But yeah, that's, I suppose it's just a difference of the system, isn't it? With how the funding models are set up. I know talking money, tuition 
for PA education is phenomenally different between our two countries. Yeah. Can you give the listeners a bit of an idea of how much it costs to go to PA school? Um, From my my estimate or guesstimate from my knowledge is that um, in the United States, there's about 280 PA programs. Maybe the least expensive um, program could be about $60,000 a year. Um, and the most expensive would, I'm going to guess, is about $150,000 a year, a wide range between private schools and uh, public institutions. So the average, what we do know, what I'm pretty confident about, is the average PA student graduates with about $125,000 in student loan debt. Which to me just seems absolutely phenomenal. If I were to guess, pulling numbers through from my own experience, we pay maybe £9,000 a year for both years of tuition fee and obviously you have living expenses and that kind of stuff over the top so you might come out of university five thousand pounds worth of debt somewhere in that ballpark figure yeah. certainly nowhere near 125 thousand dollars which is you know 160 170 thousand pounds yeah incredibly. but then the salary you earn is very different yeah so the average pa in the united states makes about one hundred and ten thousand dollars and that would probably be a pretty reasonable salary for a new graduate. Wow. Yeah. New graduate PA coming into the National Health Service, £40,000 a year. Right. But the cost of living is just so different, isn't it? Our educational model has made it in such this way, right? That then you people would only come in to demand a high salary. I know that um, I have uh, some colleagues in the Netherlands and we do an exchange with the students. And I was... Um, asked the students because they're just so lovely to, to to speak to students, right? And they were, I was asking them if they uh, would go, would you go into becoming a PA uh, for a good income? And they all laughed. No, you know, you would become a PA for service, right? Because this is what you're wanting to do. And I think, I do think that there's a difference there in the United States. I think um, for sure, physician assistants, um, our self-selecting is a group who really, in my mind, don't have a large ego that are really interested in service, but they're also knowing that it's it's considered um, a very good ba- very good master's degree and a good investment because even though you do have a significant amount of debt, you will make a, a very good income uh, for your family um, for your lifetime. Yeah, those figures are completely different. I'd be interested to know how it compares across the world. Do you think there's been detriment to PA education as a result of the pandemic and the move to online education? Or do you think that's to the betterment of PAs in the long run? My general perspective on COVID is that COVID hasn't taught us anything new. It's just highlighted all of our weaknesses and our strengths, right? So particularly when you think of healthcare, you know, I and, it, and this is worldwide, right, that we've seen highlighted our weaknesses um, and then also our strengths and our ability to work as teams and and do amazing things that are beyond what any of us probably thought we were capable of. I think the same thing for PA education. Um, it's highlighted some of our weaknesses, which in the United States, the clinical training sites is a is a crisis. Again, everyone here is essentially privately employed, not employed by the government, and not required to take students. Um, And so this is, um, as we continue to increase the number of training programs, not even just in PA, but also in nursing and in in, uh, physician um, education programs, 
we are saturating the number of clinical rotation sites that we have. Um, and then for us, this is um, compounded by our issue of burnout and wellness um, as living through the pandemic. So we're having a hard time keeping the health workforce. People are retiring early. Um, people don't want to work you know, yeah. in this um, circumstance and it's understandable. Um, and so it's very hard for us to press clinicians and say, you must take a student when understandably they're so tired and burnt out and dealing with trying to care for people during a pandemic, it's understandable that they don't have the extra additional energy to, to train a student. Um, regarding educational model, I don't know yet. I think it, I think the didactic kind of component with being online versus being in person, um, I'm really fascinated by this. I'll be really interested to see over the next five to 10 years, what happens? Uh, I, I'm, I'm a believer that um, we kind of can't go back, which I hate, you know, we're not going back to whatever was normal before. And I think that also is, means education. So, so I think what we're going to see um, is both on the faculty and staff side and the student side, the demand to be at home and learning and working is going to continue. I'm actually open to that. I'm, I'm really curious um, for me, I believe most of education is actually driven by students. Um, I think the students don't know that they have that influence, but I think the groundswell will continue as they demand and say, this is what we want. This is what we need. Um, I think uh, from what I know, the limited knowledge that I have about um, European uh, educational PA programs and the, and the British educational programs you all are more adaptable because you've been, you're still new. It's still new. Yeah. You're, you feel flexible. We are really inflexible in the United States. We've been teaching these ways for, you know, 50 years. And so it's going to be a very hard change. But I think that, again, I, I believe that students are going to demand um, a new way of learning. I think you're right. Absolutely. And hopefully that enables access to a larger part of society who may not have been able to come to the university for right. whatever reasons, care, responsibility reasons and childcare right. and that kind of stuff. But if right. they can do it from home, yes, you might recruit different types of people into becoming PAs. I think the, the, the negative kind of side of this is going to be um, when you mentioned about the state of where things are today, we know that um, at, at least um, here that there is a significant increased burden on uh, minorities and women in regards to the additional work of the pandemic, particularly centered around childcare um, and, the, and the lack of childcare or the lack of the ability for schools to be um, consistently um, in person. So I think that that is going to be the issue in my mind going forward. Um, you know, I just saw an article actually in the New York Times today saying that many schools in the United States are doing Fridays virtual because that's what makes the teachers happy and the parents are up in arms, right? Because you made the comment of, you know, now we are living in a world where it's considered acceptable for me to be talking with you and working full-time as a woman and having my children sitting right here learning. Um, how in the world, I'm with you, are people getting through PA school like this? Um, I just have no idea. I actually know of a student in our class, um, Utah is known for some uh, people with very large families. And I have a student that had five children learning at home while she was in PA school. So she was managing all of that, straightening it all out, and then sitting on Zoom and attending PA education. Um, 
the student did well. I'm with you. I'm like absolutely just shocked by what people have been able to achieve. Um, I think this is the balance that we're going to have to look at in the future though, right? Because this kind of like superhero mentality that we already put on healthcare providers, what I have seen over the last year, year and a half is all of us having an inability to focus uh, 100% on our jobs because we were managing living through a pandemic. So same things with students, an inability to focus 100% on school. Um, Conversations that we're having here um, in the kind of PA education national world is we cannot change the bar or the level of excellence in education. Um, Our patients do not deserve less excellence due to the fact that we've all had to live through a pandemic. And so I think those kind of things, we're going to have to figure out how to do it differently um, with still keeping that same level. That's so true. I was just thinking if the burden of healthcare, childcare disproportionately affects women in the UK, three quarters of the PA workforce are women. Yes. So that is going to be a huge issue for a lot of our colleagues. Um, mm-hmm. It's not something I was sort of consciously aware of, but yeah, of course it's going to be. Yeah. Same thing in the U S where 75% women is in the PA profession. Um, And I think, um, you know, there's paper after paper already talking about the, the burden of non unpaid labor, you know, um, which is always the case for women. Um, I think probably I'm going to say, I'm going to guess that England has done a better job than the U S has done. We, this pandemic has really brought that forward and particularly going back to PA education and kind of the idea of, of professors. What we know is that the number of papers, for example, within women have decreased um, over the last couple of years because those women, majority of them are taking care of their children and their elderly parents, in addition to trying to have their careers. Um, and this is something that we, like you're saying, as a profession, we need to be concerned about, right? Because it actually impacts all of us and could impact our profession negatively. Absolutely. Virginia, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It's been so interesting and I'm sure I could fill another 10 episodes talking about the differences between UK and USPAs. Thank you so much for coming on. I'll leave a link to your paper in the show notes in the episode here so people can find it on their device. If they've got any questions, are you happy for people to reach out and get in touch? I would love to. I would love to get in touch and I would love an invitation to come to England at any time. It'd be great. I'll see what I can do with my local course. Okay, thanks. (laughs) Perfect. Thank you, Virginia. All right. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening as well. I hope you found that really interesting topic of conversation. And like I say, if you'd like to find Virginia's paper, it will be in the show notes below. If you'd like to get in touch with me, I'm on social media at PA Podcast UK. And I hope you'll join me again for the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Precision Associate Podcast.